Okay, folks, this is an episode of Apologetics Live. There were some problems that Matt had with getting this set up, and he had to switch to a different account. So we actually break in in the middle. And so because of that, let me introduce who's speaking. This was Matt Slick talking with Dr. Anthony Silvestro and Michael Stockwell. Michael Stockwell is with Cross Country Evangelism. And they start right in the middle of a discussion. The discussion is when Michael Stockwell had been over in the UK, he had been arrested for saying uh, anti-homophobic or saying homophobic things or anti-homosexual things. And so he was arrested. They actually had to make him come back a couple times. So he's in the middle of explaining that story. So sorry that the beginning got cut off because of some problems that with, with the setup of it. But uh, I hope that you'll enjoy a lot of this. This was a good discussion. So here we go for Apologetics Live. This is Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. Okay, so you're in jail for seven hours in Bristol. Yes. For preaching the gospel. Yes. Now, did a crowd gather? Oh, yeah. We had about 100 people out there listening to us. Were there Muslims out there? There was. I was accused of Islamophobia. So when we got arrested, there was a lot of accusations. Homophobia, Islamophobia, <clears throat> hate speech. And uh, during my trial, the prosecutor tried to accuse me of uh, Islamophobia but the only thing I had going was I had a, a video of me being kind to the Muslim who was in the crowd engaging me. And I was kind to him and I gave him a time to speak. I didn't speak over him. And I said, you know, you could just look at the video. You could see I treated him with respect. And uh, we, and then we were found not guilty. But, yeah. I've been invited several times to go to London and go to uh, do open air out there. And there's a place, I think, in London. I forgot what it's called. but Speaker's Corner. Speaker's Corner. And you're supposed to be able to really be free to say most anything out there. Yeah, you can. Uh, there's a lot of Muslims out there who – and, they and you know, it's interesting. You go out there. A lot of them, they know their stuff. They know the, the Bible too. and But they handpick, the cherry pick certain things that they try to trip you up on. And, uh, but, but it's good, you know, you go out there and you can engage these guys and I, yeah. I love engaging the Muslims. Well, I've been threatened with arrest, uh, evangelizing before at a Mormon gathering, Mormon police officer threatened me. Um, of course, you know, you, I'm sure you've had threats. I mean, I've had attempts in my life recently. I've had, uh, de- uh, death threats. My family's been threatened. We had the FBI involved. Um, I've never been physically assaulted. Uh, though people have gotten in my face literally, you know, inches away, want, you know, aggravating and trying to get me to take a swing at them so they could, you know, do stuff. I've had that happen before. And that's just for the Baptists, you know, so. Um, <laughs> I've been, I've been punched, slapped, spit on. Um, just about, I've had, I've been doused with just about everything you can throw on a person. Well, you know, I'd be glad to go out there and do some open air with you sometime. Yeah, when I go through Idaho, I will. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. When I when I witness and evangelize, um, I have I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying any right any technique or is better than another. God anoints people, guides people, uses people, different situations, different times. You know, there's been times when I've I've thought I preached a great sermon and it wasn't, and a bad sermon and it was. People, you know, it's God's the one. But um, yeah, my approach is usually I find different than most of the open airs that I go out there with. I mean, I'll say the same substance, but what I'll do is ask questions and um, try and get them to uh, engage and stuff. And I have a particularly interesting story that I actually it's a real life story and I describe it sometimes. And it's a great it's a gripping story. And um, I talk about you know, the issues related to it and use that as a way to get their interest and then move right into the talk about facing God and the issues of God. But, um, you know, I'd like to go out there. Tony Miano I've witnessed with, Ray Comfort i witnessed with, Andrew Rappaport. Uh, we've done various things with people that... Who's he? What's that? Who's he? Andrew Rappaport. He's, uh, well... No, I'm they, kidding. I, I know Andrew. <laughs> if you go to losers.com, there's a real big picture yeah, we thought we got rid of him by sending him to the Philippines, and somehow he got on a plane ride back. They kicked him out. They, once they found out that he was there, they they kicked him out and sent him out on a private jet. You're out of here. He just landed uh, over in SeaTac about an hour and a half ago, and I kicked him out. <laughs> yeah, they, they got him ripped. Yeah, that's right. He was there. He texted me. So, uh, yeah, if you ever do come through here, one of the things I want to start doing some more is evangelizing and getting it on film. I have a body camera that the police use someone sent me mm-hmm. and do that. And um, I won't go now without base out uh, organized without having a second or third person there watching my back literally and uh, filming it. Uh, so got to do that. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of times you'll be accused of something that you, you didn't even do it. And Ray comfort has a video of where he was accused by a woman, but when they played the video, they clearly showed that he, he didn't do what she said he did. And we were just at a campus in New Mexico, and it happened to one of the guys who was with us. She, he was accused of put shoving a girl, and half the students came and signed affidavits that he did it. But then when we downloaded it onto a, a laptop it sh- and showed the police, they were like, no, he didn't even go near her. And they said, you're lying. And but like half the the kids went and like swore to it, you know, and it's like so you would have arrested him and he would have went to in front of a judge and there would have been six people or more saying he did it. I mean, he probably would have got in trouble. And but, but by God's grace, we had it all on film. That's how it has to be. I was actually thinking about having a, a person, you know, 100 or 200 feet away, uh, you know, have a, with these portable mics that you can take the distance thing and just have someone there with a camera just just filming just at a distance uh, what's going on uh, and then have the body camera as well. It's ridiculous. So, you know, we're supposed to have been a Christian nation and now they call us a post-Christian nation. Uh, I don't call us a post-Christian nation. I call us an anti-Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And it is the the gospel is hated. Uh, the, those who present the gospel are hated. The unbelievers are alive and well. They're gaining more and more power. And in my opinion, this is going to increase and it's going to get worse and worse. Um, and that they are going to somehow, some way, find a way to pass some law 
that says that the preaching of the Christian gospel is too offensive and must be outlawed. I think they're already starting that with this Equality Act that just passed in the House of Representatives. I think yeah. it's on its way for that with the with that uh, going on. Yeah, you know what gets me is that Muslims are allowed to do the same thing, and but that's okay. Uh, they preach, they teach, they, they deny the, the deity of Christ, deny the Trinity, deny the crucifixion, deny justification by faith, and say that the Christianity is a false religion. That's what they teach. And that Muhammad was a, the true prophet to restore the truth and all this stuff. They don't have any problem. They don't get uh, arrested and threatened. But Christians do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, and I believe, in my it's my opinion, uh, that Christians are part to blame. Now, certainly there's a spiritual side of this. I have no problem admitting that. But I also believe that Christians have been uh, laying down and doing nothing so much that the momentum against them uh, is increasing because Christians aren't fighting back. I don't mean fighting back in an aggressive, uh, foul way. But Jesus did say in Luke 22, 36, do you have a sword? They said, no, we have two cloaks. He said, sell a cloak, buy a sword. And it's a, an issue of self-defense. And uh, we have the right of self-defense, not the obligation of self-defense, but the right of it. And I think that we Christians need to band together and file lawsuits and make uh, demands according to what we have been given in the Constitution. And too many people think that that's unchristian. It's not unchristian. Even Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 17, he appealed to Caesar. When the riot was starting around him, he says, no, he's a citizen of Rome, and he appealed to Caesar. And that required certain legal things to be done. And some people think, just for trivia, that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are written possibly as a defense uh, for his trial in Rome when he went there. But at any rate, so we have the right and the obligation to be able to do that, and I think we should. That's, that's my opinion. Just, I was just in uh, Pennsylvania, and... Uh... There was a high school there last Wednesday who had a drag show in the high school for the whole day. And the the president of the school board says that they're on the cutting edge having this drag show. No one, no parents, no vote. They just she she implemented this into the school. Doesn't let anybody know. We didn't even know until the day after. So then we went out there with with Christian signs and gospel tracks. When the kids let out of school, we handed out gospel tracks. They saw our signs. They called the police. It was a big to do. But we we, we were out there, you know, standing for righteousness and, and being salt and light. And the very like two days later, they had a school board and we attended the school board meeting. And they showed all of these pictures of what the school's doing and how great they're doing. And they never showed once the the drag show. So they wanted to keep that hush hush at this big school board meeting. And one of the guys I was with was able to stand up and confront them on what they did because uh, I tried to do it, but I didn't, I don't go to that school district. So they wouldn't let me speak. But the, the, uh, the thing was, was that people maligned and said that the kids were so afraid of the, the Christians that were out there and they were all running to the guidance counselors. So scared which was a lie because they were out there hanging out, talking to us for an hour and a half. I mean, it was, but, but it was interesting how they tried to make it look like we were the best. I'm thinking like there's guys in your school dressed like women and you're upset with the Christians and calling us the ones who are the bad guys. I said, things are upside down. Yeah.
I was going to say, um, <clears throat> when he says drag show, uh, Matt, he's not talking about cars. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's that's one of the uh, most repulsive things I, I can see. Some people react differently to different things. But when I see a guy dressed up like that, I instantly am, experience revulsion. And I can't look at it. It is. It's well, then, to me. Then, it's you're, just, then you're then you're a hater, Matt. You're a bigot. You need to embrace these things. Uh, that's what the world uh, says. That you need to you need to accept this and embrace it. And if you don't, you're going to be the bad guy now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, Isaiah fifty verse twenty, or it's good fifty twenty. Isaiah five twenty. Um, beware those who call evil good and good evil. Um, I don't know if you've heard me teach what I call depressed scatology. Uh, I'm of the opinion that things are only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And uh, we can push back the tide if we Christians unite. I've got some ideas, or i got one idea I think would be a good one if we can get some Christian leader to do this and uh, push back. But I think what should happen is, is uh, it's arranged so that one month out of the year, uh, and we have 26 letters in the alphabet, 30 months in a year, in a month, that is. And, um, and you know, have it strategically arranged. But on the first day uh, of this protest, everybody with the last name that starts with the letter A shows up at the state capitol with signs and posters. And, uh, you know, we want our country back. You know, we want our rights, you know, whatever it is, have it be arranged. And then the second day, people with the second letter, you know, the letter starts with a B, the last name with a B, and you get out there. And you go through this and do this for 30 days or, well, 26, you know, probably 20, 20 days. You combine some of the letters and have it be done uh, for basically a whole month it, in every capital all across America in every state. And we have an organization where everybody's going to do this, puts in five bucks, and that's for legal fees. We have lawyers ready and uh, it. Be paid, be done, signs printed, get out there and do this kind of a thing. Rules be met. You know, you can't be obstructing vehicular or pedestrian traffic and things like this. Uh, you know, but this is a, an idea I think would be good. It's national. I think it needs to be done. Something like that needs to be done. With, I'm nobody. I can't ar- or arrange it. But if somebody got out there and said, hey, let's try something like this, that's just one of the things I think they should do. I also think they should start standing out in front of CBS, ABC, NBC, and do the same kind of a thing with, with pickets and say, "Get you know, be unbiased, be accurate. That's all they want. Just be accurate, be truthful. Uh, I watch the news, and they're full of liars and bigots and who who call others uh, liars and bigots. All right. Makes me mad. Hey, Atomic uh, John, I'm trying to get you to have admin on this, but it doesn't have any admin ability for me to give it to you. I don't. I can't see a list of the uh, people inside the, the room here. I want to be able to do that, and I can't. It does yeah. not make any sense. Oh well, that's <laughs> what it is. I wanted you to be yep. able to have it just in case. So, uh, yeah, we're we're in trouble, and uh, you know, depressed scatology. There'd be an increase of lawlessness, hatred for the truth, the destruction of of godly people, the persecution of godly people, um, the rise of evil, the rise of spiritism, spiritual depravity, uh, divorce, wars, rumors. It's all all going. And we as Christians, uh, we're going to be taking the brunt of a lot of it. And I could get into the FEMA camps too, but that's another thing. Lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. Yep. 
So all we can do is just trust the Lord Jesus and praise him, uh, and one day we'll enter into his presence uh, by his grace. So that's good stuff, man. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're out there witnessing, Mike. Thanks. Good for you. If only Anthony would do something. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what Anthony does. What do you do, Anthony? <laughs> well, now a lot more, fortunately. You, you know, I, I, so I sold the dental office. Yeah. I think I told you on the phone, right? And hey, you're Sarah, multi multi-millionaire, right? And you've got not uh, quite, but... limos and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got one waiting for me for the next college campus I go to to witness at. Okay. All right. Good. I arrive in style. In style? Yeah. Good. All right. Just and have we, fun. We actually have gold a bodyguard. Dust. We gold have gold dust dropping as oh. we are as we are speaking and uh, and doing our preaching. So that'll pay for stuff. Oh yeah. We figure if you give out some gold coins. That's how people accept the gospel right away. So, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't put the dollar bills out and dance on them, though, right? You don't do that. I, you know what, though? If I got a private jet, I would. Because obviously they want a yeah. low yeah, dollar. Yeah. <laughs> on the dancing steps. Dancing on yeah. the money. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. Wow. wow. Now, actually, what the, one thing I'm really excited about is being able to get out a whole lot more. So it took us months to, to work through all the... Uh, Closing up the closing up the the business side. Even though we sold an L office, closing everything up was was difficult with all the government regulation stuff. Oh, so uh, that's pretty much done now, and uh, and now we've got a lot more time for the traveling and, and teaching in churches, and then doing our witnessing. So actually, the reason why Mike is uh, sitting next to me is he came into town for uh, you know we would love prayer for this weekend. We are doing our um, mini Ohio fire conference Saturday morning uh, here in Cleveland, Ohio. And then we are going out by noon uh, downtown Cleveland for the uh, Gay Pride Festival and parade. So we'll be uh, doing witnessing down there. And uh, there there should be 15 or 20 of us. And uh, I'm sure you've done this before, right, Matt? Um, I've not gone to uh, gay things. Uh, I've been into a gay bar witnessing. I went into one once. I haven't done that. I've done that, and um, they, they, I got asked to dance, and uh, I said, "No, I'm not interested." And then they very politely, they were really nice. They said, "Well, you got to leave, and you know, I can't talk about the Lord here." Okay, we left. But uh, yeah, I've, I've I've been in crowds before and and stuff. Not like what you guys have done, though. But uh, I've done it before. Yeah, you know it, it. It's an eye-opening one. It the uh, New York City, <laughs> eleven o'clock at night on a Saturday night, um, has some really interesting um, things about it in terms of the types of people and some threats that you receive and whatnot. I actually feel safer <laughs> in New York City on a Saturday night than I do at a gay pride festival. In oh, of course, day, with all kinds of police around. Of course. Well, you've seen uh, I've seen film clips of of the uh, the tolerant uh, gay people beating up uh, Christians. Uh, mm-hmm. there, are, there are clips out there. Um, the hypocrisy. You know, I remember when I was studying the Bible that the issue of uh, you hypocrites, you liars, you thieves, you whatever. You know, I thought, well, hypocrites. That's not a big deal. I mean, it is, but it's not that big a deal. You know, you kind of say what you one thing and do another. But now I get it. What a hypocrite really is in the, the biblical sense and the hypocrisy of the left, the hypocrisy of those who want fairness and equality, 
and they want everything except that. They use lies to promote their hypocrisy at your expense. That's what I understand hypocrisy, the, the hypocrites to be. They're dangerous and, uh, well, we're losing our country because of hypocrites. And I always say this, that the, whatever the problem is, this is a contributing factor to the loss of our, our stuff, but also because the Christians aren't doing their job. And I, I really believe that's a, it's a huge part. And the Christians are not standing up. They're not speaking up across this country that need to be done. And it's the, because of the pastors and the teachers. Who else is it? The pastors and the teachers have got to be able to speak and equip the Christians for the work of ministry. And they're not doing it, generally speaking. Sure, there are some pastors doing that, but not enough. And, uh, we're losing because of it. Yeah, well, you know, people aren't being trained in, in apologetics. People aren't being trained in in, in really right. in the Bible at all. And then we've got the problem of, of postmodernism in society. So this is what I find really interesting, Matt. I, I, you know, when you do the research and, and you see the different generational breakdown, or, I'm sorry, uh -huh. yeah, breakdowns, you know, 20-ish years or so per generation. And depending on where somebody's born, right, they fall in that generation and there's certain um, aspects of that generation. Baby boomers, there's, there's characteristics that tend to be um, universal throughout baby boomers. Right. Same thing with, with the Gen Xers. Um, what's interesting about millennials, though, because while a lot of these don't cross over, this postmodernism with millennials seems to have gone and infected the other generations. And so we, this is what, this is what I see out here anyway. And so what I find fascinating is when I have patients who are in their 70s who are fundamental, right? I mean, these are the fundamentalists. They're fundamental about everything, but then they have aspects of postmodernism that creep into them, especially in regards to social issues today. You see this with people that seem to be in fundamental churches as well, that they've maybe in soft doctrine with, with pastors who aren't teaching hard the way they're supposed to be, <laughs> and, uh, and they've capitulated to society instead. So I, I find I find it fascinating. I, I enjoy seeing sociology and the psychology of people, and uh, and, and watching this is like I said, it's, it's a fascinating thing to me. I have a bachelor's in social science, and so dabbled in uh, a lot of studies on that, and it is interesting. Um, Isaac Asimov, of all people, uh, the science fiction writer, in one of his novels, someplace made a statement, and it was like one of those light switches went on, and it was true. And he said, society has a momentum. It's very difficult to change that momentum. And it's true. And the momentum is going downhill. And that's the problem is that you know, the metaphor kind of carries over. But as something goes downhill, it increases in its speed uh, because it's, that's just the natural way of things. It's harder to go uphill. Righteousness is more difficult than evil. Goodness is more difficult to, to do and live by than evil. And we Christians are, try, are trying to live righteously and with goodness. And even the psalmist would say, why does the wicked prosper and your people suffer? It's because we hold on to righteousness and they hold on to evil. And with evil, you can accomplish a great deal very quickly. You can extort someone, kidnap them, rob them, 
uh, and you can get into places of power and in political situations, in educational and in the media, and then you can promote lies and liberalism. And with their clever, uh, I don't know, uh, verbiage, they can make what sounds good bad and bad good. It's exactly what's happening. And they don't care. And they don't right? care. I mean, so like when, as Mike was talking about, all these students, they didn't care to lie because they had an agenda to push, right? And so that, that to me is, is the scariest part of it all, that people are willing to lie and go at length. Mm-hmm. The Jesse Smollett case, right? Here's a guy who was is, who is willing to lie about a number of things that supposedly happened to him, and then to find a prosecutor that was willing to drop all the charges. And it's, it is, it's astounding that this kind of stuff could happen. False accusation of a false accusation without repercussion. Right. Well, in a society that decays, truth must be sacrificed one way or another. I've discovered that in debates and teaching that uh, because I know my theology and logic and things like that, I get very precise in the areas of truth. And this, the more precise your tool is, the better able you can divide truth and error, light and dark. And I'll tell you, uh, when you start digging in with that knife of truth, you start finding out what's really underneath the skin of people. And the bigotry, the hypocrisy, the willing blindness, and the, I call it being agendized. Your agenda, you've been agendized. You've been brainwashed into thinking that an agenda is the way the truth and the life. At the expense of truth, at expense of, of logic, of rationality. What do you do with it, you know? And that's what the society throws at us, though. They, When we come out with them with the truth, and they tell us that we're the haters, we're the bigots, right. when we're the ones who are preaching truth. And it's, what is the thing? Uh, truth is now the new hate, or hate is now the new truth. Yep. And uh, that's what, what it comes down to. So when you're truthful about something, they're saying, oh, you don't, you don't love them. You, you're a hater. Well, that's the thing is the statement itself. You don't, you know, you're full of hate. You don't love is, is, is a ludicrous statement. So someone say, I was out witnessing, all right. All three of us are out witnessing my, my turn to to talk and someone come up and I I, say, what do you think of homosexuality? I think homosexuality is a sin. Oh, you hate homosexuals. Mm -hmm. Say, wait a minute. Um, First of all, you don't know what's in my heart. You can't tell me or others what's in my heart. Well, you said you, you don't approve of uh, homosexuals. That's why I don't approve of it. doesn't mean I, I hate them any more than I don't approve of the behavior of my daughter. doesn't mean I hate her. I can certainly love my daughter when she does something I don't agree with. So you don't have the right to tell me what I feel any more than I have the right to tell you what you feel. So you should stop doing that. You should have a discussion with me. And this is the, the thing is that, that well, well, the, people problem, the problem is, is that they, they tolerance isn't enough anymore. Oh, no, they don't want you to just tolerate. Attack. Now you have to embrace it. Now you have to accept oh, it. Yeah. They, they want they don't want you to be against it. They want you to be totally for it uh-huh. or you're a reader. Yep. And you probably know that the indoctrination machine is occurring in uh, elementary schools, pro-homosexuality, pro-abortion, uh, pro-leftist, uh, pro-feministic, and I mean hyper-feministic stuff, uh, anti-Christian stuff. We, we're in trouble. The only way this country is going to be saved is if there's a revival of some sort. And it's got to happen. 
I don't know what we're going to do. But in the meantime, you know, I, I, I could tell you, and Anthony knows some of this stuff, uh, the car ministry, for example, has been under some heavy attack, heavy problems. And, um, uh, you know, I believe it's in part because, hey, we're, I'm in the front lines ministry. And you guys go out there, you're front lines different way. I'm front lines on the Internet. And there's a lot of people who don't like what I do, a lot of people. And so uh, I believe that there's a spiritual counterpart to this and a spiritual consequence. And this is the nature of what it means to be in the light and to, uh, to speak against darkness. However, I, I suspect that in part of what's going on in God's sovereignty is that the persecution we receive is a great act of love by God. And I look at it that way because not that we're doing it for a reward, but there is a reward that's going to be ours in heaven that can only be earned through such persecution. And it'll be an eternity of blessing to our increase because of it. And I can see how God would allow certain things to happen to his people, to his elect, knowing that this splinter in time called our, our lives, biological lives, so to speak, is nothing in comparison to the eternal of the presence of God in a greater state of reward. And I suspect that that is the case. And if we were to have our eyes on the Lord and realize that, yes, it could be difficult. We're here not as our own. We've been bought with a, with a price, Acts 2028, the blood of Christ. That what we need to do is live, pick up that cross and follow him. And the persecution is in a sense, a form of blessing, not only now, but in the heavenlies forever. And, I don't know if we have a better state, you know, I get bigger wings to fly with. Who knows what all that means? But at the very least, it'll be a greater glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when when men speak evil against you for my name's sake, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven as it was for the prophets before you. So, you know, we, we, we're to rejoice when that happens. I mean, you know, when you're going through it, though, you know, it's not that easy, but... But if we keep our eyes on the on the prize, yep, yeah, that's one of the things that I do is is just look for that and and um, just hope and pray that all that's happened is, is for His glory. But on the other hand, um, you know, you know, I don't know about you, you two, but uh, I'm pretty pretty messed up. I'm a pretty big sinner. I've got a lot of arrogance, a lot of pride, selfishness, stupidity, a whole bunch of it all mixed up in everything. And uh, I suspect that when I get to heaven, the only reason I'm going to be there, of course, is by God's saving grace. And he's going to give me a mop on the outside of heaven and say, clean up. Because uh, I'm going to be in the furthest outskirts. I got nothing good to offer God whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing I've ever done has been pure. Not a single thing. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in tents of wickedness. Absolutely. All I want to do is be with my Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't need anything. just want to be with him. That's reward enough forever. Yep. Our treasure and our exceeding great reward. Yeah. Nothing better than him. Unless you're a Muslim and you want 72 virgins. And a lot of wine. A lot of wine. Oh, actually, I think it's one person with 72 genders. So, well, we'll see how that works. 72 out. yet? What's that? Is it up to 72 yet? It's I know be 70, York, where I'm from, it's in the 30s, I think. Islam, another topic. So, Anthony, 
this this uh, conversation has devolved into some stuff that lacks proper intelligent design, wouldn't you yeah. say? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> you know, with a special guest, we have to we have to let him talk and pick his brain a little bit, right? Yeah, that's right. Did you say pick his little brain or brain a little? I didn't. I wasn't sure what. It, I don't know if there's anything left after these uh, half an hour here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's left. Yeah, Matt's quick with the insults. That's true. That's true. You got to be thick skin around here. Yeah. Yeah, my and, son peppered him with questions about jail. Right. Right. Really. Right after you walked in the door, it seemed like. Did they feed you in jail? Yeah. Actually, you know, two of the guys that were in there got scones and tea. I didn't know about that because I'm not from England, but they, they were from England and they got scones and tea. Well, heck, I mean, I'd want something. So can I have some scones or whatever whatever she's having as long as it's edible? Yeah. That's so, more like a last meal than it does a uh, <laughs> jail food. So did they say don't come back to England? Did they forbid you to come back to England? No, no, we're, I've been back. Okay. Yeah, I got to get there. I flew over it once and went, hey, that's England. I could recognize it on the way to France. That, that's closest I've ever been. So, at any rate. Yeah. So, Anthony, what do you do? Yeah, so I like, I like talking about God's creation. That's what I do. Yeah? What about God's creation? <laughs> God created it. <laughs> oh, well, I thought you were going to give it a little more information than that, but okay. You know, let, 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 let me let, let me say this. Um, you know, I, I was telling Mike earlier today. So Mike Riddle, different Mike, who yep. you know, uh-huh. um, he and I are, are working on a, a curriculum. One thing that Mike is has been really well known for is to not it's to actually train people in apologetics, especially creation, but apologetics in general. And um, he's he's gifted. He used to run the worldwide training center for Microsoft, and uh, and oh. used to train engineers. So he developed he and some some of his guys developed a way to train. I mean, use old school techniques and how to train people. How do we get information in these engineers' heads over a three day period to get them to actually retain it? We'll learn it, retain it, regurgitate it, and go out and use it. Dancing girls. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, just like that. <laughs> so he, um, so he's taken that into creation apologetics realm, and he and I have been, uh, have been uh, doing that kind of stuff. So we're uh, we're writing a curriculum right now on apologetics that we want to use to train people around the country, eight to ten people in a class at a time for three days at a time, and. Uh, They'll have to read books and certain things on their way into the into the weekend. Then when they're there, they're going to be a little bit more learning, but they're supposed to have some presentations already prepared, which we will help guide them through how you deliver these effectively. Right. And so really, really neat stuff. So I, I bring all this up because I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago from a local pastor who he and two other pastors in the Cleveland area here have decided to put together a little seminary. So, you know, there's this been there's this push in the FBC. There's some other pastors around the country who say, well, wait a minute. Why are we sending our guys off to seminary when we're the ones responsible for training them up ourselves? We're the ones supposed to be discipling these guys into ministry. And uh, let's do this on the local level. And so so churches are starting to collaborate and uh, and do these things right now. 
So he somehow got my name, reached out to me. We met this morning and, you know, we, we had an hour and a half scheduled to talk and he, uh, he started to go through some of his presentation to me and, you know, his, his goal was to one, ask me if we would, if I, or people that I knew would help financially support this local seminary for local churches in the area. And then two, that if I would possibly help out in, in maybe teaching in certain aspects of it. Cool. Let's talk about this. So what of of course, before I walked in, I examined his statement of faith on his church's website, which was generic in a lot of ways. I heard he was reformed. So I'm like, okay, cool. There's some aspects that were missing. We go and sit down and, uh, and talk today. And of course, one of the first questions I ask him is, where do you stand in creation? Where is this seminary going to stand in creation? To which he responds, well, I am a biblical creation, you know, young earth creationist, but I don't believe that everyone else has to hold to this. Now, I bring all this up because as Mike and I are writing a curriculum right now for biblical worldview, what are the absolute necessities for a biblical worldview, right? And so I, I used your website. See, okay, so what does Matt have to say about a biblical worldview? What does he say are the absolute um, essential points? What are, you know, primary doctrines? Um, I looked at some other sites. We've had several pastors look at these things. And uh, there's one thing that we think absolutely needs to be in there <laughs> that a lot of people don't have. And it's the issue of creation, biblical creation. And so I, I lead into all this because I told him within 10 minutes of the conversation of the hour and a half we had scheduled, I said, I can't partner with you. And I spent the rest of the time speaking to him of why a biblical creation is, is of vital importance. And, and it comes down to this. Do people believe that death is a result or the result of sin? Do people believe that it is that Adam and Eve were literal human beings and that they sinned and because they sinned, death, disease, famine, thorns and thistles, all the bad stuff entered to creation, right? This is what we would read in Romans 5. <laughs> this is what we would see in, in Genesis. Um, we would see that, that death was the thing that was brought in that God says is the last enemy to be destroyed in first Corinthians 15, 26. So I think it's clear that we have death as, as a problem and it's a result of sin. Okay. So Adam and Eve very clearly about 6,000 years ago, I, I don't think there's much disputing the, the genealogies. And there's some people, maybe there's a generation here or two that are skipped, whatever it, Try to. I don't believe that you can add in thousands of years. I believe it's around six thousand years. But there are some people, you know, John Wickham. We talked to not too many months ago, who ninety four, ninety five years old right now. He originally he wrote the original flood book, Genesis flood book, with uh, Henry Morris. He still hangs his hat on about a ten thousand year old Earth. Okay, fine. I'll deal with that. What you aren't going to get with a few possible missing generations is millions of years tossed into into there, right? That's not happening. So he and I are on the same page on that. Wonderful. Then he says, but we think it's still possible that there could be millions of years before Adam and Eve were created. 
So he pulls out arguments such as the possibility of the day-age theory, that maybe Yom doesn't really mean a 24-hour day in the context of Genesis 1. Uh, or maybe millions of years are in that supposed gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Now, I can walk through all the apologetics. This is, it's really easy to walk through how there's not millions of years there either. The Bible clearly speaks of a creation that is a young creation. Um, and, and so we've got the problem of death, right? This is, this is the, the linchpin of it all. We look out, we can walk to our, our local parks, we can dig into the grounds a little bit, we can look at where um, some rivers have, uh, have, have settled into some areas, areas that I would say are not carved out by rivers, areas that were the washing away of floodwaters 4,300 or so years ago that now have a river trickling through it. But we can look at these fossils, and we've got billions of these dead fossils that are all complex organisms, by the way, all over the earth. They're in flood layers. They are in sedimentary rock layers. These are rocks that were laid down by waters. These are not bedrock and whatever. So what is the record of these fossils? These billions of fossils that are laying around everywhere, it comes from one of two places. It is either the result of billions of years of death, which would have had to have occurred before Adam and Eve that were slowly buried over time by dust and ash and whatever else, or the billions of dead things we find everywhere are the result of the flood about 4,300 years ago that buried them all over the earth. But it's either one or the other. It's not both. And so if we take the Bible in context, (laughs) that death is a result of Adam's sin and not just death for humans, but death for all the animals that this only makes sense in the context of a young earth. So this is in in essence what we come up with. Okay. Now why I think this is so important. Let's go even further. So, so Matt, I I won't put you on the spot the way I do a lot of pastors. I'm sure you know anyway, but um, (laughs) I asked, I asked the question to pastors and, and this came up when I was, when I was putting the finishing touches on, on my book a couple of years ago, I was sitting in a smart, in a Starbucks as I, as I love to sit. I know it's heresy to sit there, but you get into some great conversations <laughs> with people. <laughs> you really do. You listen into people and you butt into conversations and then you, right. you talk. So, okay. I'm sitting there. There's two guys sitting about six feet away from me at a table. I'm doing my final edits on the book. And uh, these guys are, they're talking Christianese. So I'm like, okay. I'll get into this conversation at some point. The one guy says to the other, Hey, I've got to leave in about five minutes. We've got to wrap this up. So at that point I, it was my entrance cue. And so I walk over to them and say, Hey guys, I couldn't help but overhear you. You know, sounds like you guys go to local church. Where do you guys go? Turns out the one guy is an AOG assemblies of God pastor. And he was discipling a new believer. Cool. Okay. So I found out what he's doing. He then, of course, asked me what I'm doing. I said, I'm putting the finishing touches of my book on biblical evangelism, creation apologetics, and lay-level precept apologetics and how they're wound together for witnessing, right? And, uh, and he goes, oh, he goes, um, yeah, I just don't think creation is that important anymore. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Slipped out. Yes, I turned the pastor. I go, hey, uh, so uh, wh- why do you think that? And on top of it, 
your denomination is one of the few left that still stands on a literal creation. He goes, well, not anymore. We changed that a couple years ago. To which I said, Pastor, I think you're moving in the wrong direction. And, and he goes, well, what do you mean? I go, oh, Pastor, I got a question for you. Why did Jesus have to die? Now, without sounding ludicrous, why, why didn't God the Father just stick him in the corner for timeout or give him a spanking? Right? Like, why death? And he looks at me and he goes, could you repeat the question? So I run through and I said, look, we know that, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. I get that part. <laughs> but why death? Why is death the prescribed punishment for Christ on the cross? Okay. And uh, he looks at me again. He goes, I know this is a trick question at all. Oh, man. Sorry. I'm trying to keep quiet. Yeah. I assure you, this is not a trick question. Here. If I'd have been in there, I'd have been all all over him like a monkey in a cupcake. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And so, of course, then I ask it again. He uh, he doesn't answer me. Stay silent. And so I walk him right into Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And so this is this is the issue, right? While people can be saved and not believe in a young earth creation, the whole gospel is is pinned on the fact that death is a result of sin. Jesus took that punishment on the cross. And if you believe that death somehow occurred before sin, the cross loses its power. It doesn't make sense. If God used death for billions of years on purpose to kill things and bring everything about that we see today, the cross just doesn't make sense at this point. And so that's where we, that's where Mike and I really go. And and a lot of young earth creationists go is that we, we look at this as a primary doctrine for that, for that purpose. I will also tell you, see that you made the mistake, Matt, of telling me I didn't talk enough. So now I'm just going to run the next hour. (laughs) Go for it. I I'm keep my mouth shut because I could certainly ruin the conversation by well that guy shouldn't. And then, you know, you 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 can certainly, Oh no, I'm enjoying what you're saying because if I, I'm doing the same thing, I'll go to these stores. I'm always listening to conversations. I'll interject myself in to try and witness as well. If you, you know, if this an AOG pastor, I would have already known they're already moving towards apostasy. And I know that. And if he's going to say that creation isn't important, I'm going to say, how do you justify then the very nature of the fall and the Adamic representation to all of us, which Paul, the apostle called by Christ, Matthew five twelve, you know, that sin entered the world, to one man, Adam, I, I'd, I'd go, do you believe Adam existed? And if he said yes, okay, good. Now, you know, old earth, young earth, that, that's not, that's not going to make you a Christian or not a Christian. It should right. be young earth. But he's got to know about the issue of Adam, Adamic representation, federal headship, and the whole bit. And most pastors don't know about this stuff and uh, and stuff. Okay, good. I, I got my, my, my three cents in. Go ahead. Yeah. No, but you're right. But th- this, is, this is the big issue. They haven't really thought through. Nope. These these issues and uh, quiet. <laughs> this I'm a, it's my heresy gland is secreting. You know, it's just yeah, it's like a cat behind a window. There's a bird outside. <laughs> go, go Wait, speak it. all speak all you want. It's it's oh I no 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 no. I got to keep quiet. I talk a lot anyway. I got to go ahead. No, so so for from you know Mike Riddle and I, this is this is a big issue for us. Yeah, um, we believe that this has to be taught. This has to be taught properly. Um, when I was doing research for my book, one of the things I learned, I went through the entire New Testament carefully, 
And I marked passages that if you didn't understand Genesis in a literal sense, a historical narrative, what passages would be affected in the New Testament? Ooh, good, good. That's a, that's a yeah. good idea. Every book except for three, the three smallest books of the New Testament had something to do with little creation. Mm-hmm. Somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 11. Most of which was Genesis 1 to Genesis 6. Um, and every author of the New Testament, at least one time, had some passage dealing with a literal creation. Many passages, I mean, many of the books in the Bible had many passages that dealt, dealt with it. So if you took a Sharpie, a black Sharpie marker, I, I wouldn't want it to face the Bible this way. Maybe if I got a raggedy copy or something, I, I would do this. <laughs> but if you took a black Sharpie marker and you marked through every verse in the New Testament that relied upon a literal interpretation, historical narrative of Genesis, you'd be missing a lot of words in the New Testament, a lot of words. And uh, so this is where we stand. And so in our biblical worldview course that we're teaching, we're hammering down on the understanding of, <laughs> of, a, of a proper view of creation and a proper view of the age of the earth. Because an old earth cannot mix with the Bible. We can't get millions of years jammed in anywhere because no matter what, you have to put death before sin in every, in every compromise. What if someone said define death? So if you're talking about death from plants versus humans and animals, um, we, we look at the fact that uh, nephesh was given to humans and the beasts of the earth. So that's where we look at death. Okay, plants. so let me ask you a question then. Yeah. Okay, so Adam and Eve are in the garden, and there's a fruit, uh, a fruit tree, and mm-hmm. they go to the fruit tree, and they take a fruit, and they eat it. And we know that the fruit cells are alive and the digestive processes kill those cells. Yeah. So isn't that death before the fall? Yeah, that's a great question. This is the difference between a biological cell versus what God would call the breath of life. So yeah, from a biological sense, plants have living cells from that sense, not from a biblical sense. In fact, the Bible does say that plants either fade or wither. We have a number of passages that right. say this, right? It's never, it's never death in the same sense that humans and beasts of the earth are. Because they don't have no fish. They don't okay. have no fish, right. You know, so, so death has to be described uh, in relationship to uh, nephesh. Uh, I'm thinking of something here. I, I'm sorry, I'll jump right over it. Sidestep. Yeah, yeah. In Genesis 2.17, uh, from, from what I remember, that's the first reference of death. Right. And uh, God says to Adam, the day that you eat of this, you will die. And that de- death is separation from God. Not just a biological death. I believe that it, and I did a lot of research on this, on, on annihilationism. But uh, they, he died. As soon as he ate that fruit, he was dead. And that death right. was a spiritual death of separation, right. Isaiah 59 uh, you know, it's uh, Your sins have caused a separation between you and God. Physical death is only a manifestation of the spiritual consequence. That's how I view uh, our, our physical death. So I would see death there you know, as defined in the scriptures, called the law of first mention, how accurate that is, we can discuss. But uh, that it seems to be separation from God. And so a plant can't qualify in that. Only a sentient being could. Would you agree? 
I, I would have no problems with that. Yeah. Okay. How, how you stated that. Okay. Then logically speaking, we're to go a little bit further. Um, Adam and Eve are in the garden and, uh, I don't think I'd ever do this, but can they kill an animal to eat? And would that have been biblical death, the death of an animal? Well, yeah, it would have been. Um, but, you know, back in Genesis 1, what did God say? It's Genesis, either Genesis 1 or Gen- end of Genesis 2. End of Genesis 2. He said that he gave them everything to eat that were seed-bearing plants, right? So he gave them the fruits and vegetables, plants to eat, not animals. Yeah. And he gave those same things to the animals to eat as well. So animals weren't carnivores either in the beginning in his perfect creation. But so where, wait, 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 wait. How could so that be? They didn't look at them as things to eat. That's why they didn't do it. What's that? They didn't look at them as things to eat. They didn't know the animals had meat in them. They didn't know. They didn't look at them as anything to eat. No, you can't yeah, say, I, you can't, logically you can't say they didn't know. Yeah, they I don't know I, what yeah. they knew or did not know. We don't know that, right? Right. But we do know what God said to them, which is that I give you all the plants right. to eat. So. so vegetarianism is good. Okay, so. Where do then lions get their incisors and claws for tearing and eating meat? Well, I, you know, I think an all-knowing God um, <laughs> who knew they were going to sin, right? Jesus, are, they already knew, you know, it was, it was already pre-planned that Jesus was coming into creation, right? So they knew all along that there was going to be a fall. <laughs> so are you saying then that they were born with incisors? I am First saying that the way we see them, they chances are they had them in the beginning that way. But so this brings Could up it be, a, yeah. The, Could it be that that they had the genetic information embedded in their genes, uh, gene pool, and only the uh, after the fall, only those felines we're talking about felines that uh, developed longer uh, incisors were able to survive better. Is that an option? Well, it is an option. Now, I, I I would put a caveat to this. So here's something really interesting. Probably none of your viewers. Um, on this show has ha, has heard this yet, so this this will be the first time they're going to hear this thought out there. It's it's a uh, it's somewhat controversial, but it's right. <laughs> so the thought process all along. So what you're what you're describing is is accurate in terms of the understanding of how did two of each feline kind and two or two of the feline kind, two of the canine kind, two of the whatever fill in the blank kind come off the ark and give the vast array of species that we see today, right? So every cat on earth, even those puny, disgusting house cats that none of us Hey, have. hey, 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 hey. <laughs> hey now, now those are fighting words. We got a beautiful right now. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Oh boy, I, I think we're gonna have another tech problem any second now. I <laughs> see I hoped that that the mosquitoes that that uh that Noah swatted off the ark would have been uh-huh. followed by the cats. <laughs> oh, you, you got to come to my house and meet our cats. They're so sweet. You like them. I, I'm, I'm with him because Matt has a cat named Kittler, and yeah. I'm a guy named Kit who's a Jew. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, my wife loves cats too, so I, yeah, I get it. But so, no, so I, I agree with you in that, that um, that original kind that comes off the ark had all the genetic variability built into it already that came out in, in the 
speciation process, right? Would you say then that there was a reduction of the gene pool through uh, predation or environmental pressures that required certain traits that God automatically, all in his great wisdom, omnisapiens, great wisdom, infinite wisdom, had placed into that gene pool so that they would be able to survive? Oh, absolutely. I do believe that. You know, but when it comes to canine teeth, could it be that the canines were given to bite into harder fruits like watermelons and pineapples, right? So, so there's, that, there's that possibility too. But here's what's really interesting. You're, so you're hearing it from me first, probably. The theory has always been that you take dogs, for example. You got long-haired dogs and short-haired dogs. And if they mix, you get medium-length hair dogs. And so you get dogs that come off the ark. They, the genes have long and short in them. They mix. Now we're giving a very simple example here, but they, they mix. You get some long, medium, short hair dogs. The, as the group split apart, if you have a group that goes up North, the short hair dogs die off, right? This is what you're saying here. The long hair ones survive. And now you got some new species. Because of temperature. They're too cold, right? Yeah, the temperature, right. Yeah. And the short hair ones survive better as they go South. Long hair right. ones die off because they get too hot. Okay. That's, that's been the model all this time. There is a new model that is being promoted over the last couple of years by Randy Galuza and um, Institute for Creation Research. And I think they've hit the nail on the head on this. When I wrote my book several years ago, I had a really hard time in writing out natural selection in this way because there are some evolutionary aspects to it that I think are problematic. And what he has proposed and what his research is showing now is that our bodies are full of tons of sensors that detect environmental things. So we have genes that get expressed and suppressed based on environmental factors, so much so that they can even be passed on to the next generation. We're finding this in a number of areas. And what's that called? Um, Honestly, I don't know what he's settled on as a term yet, if he's even settled on one Epigenetics. Well, no, we have epigenetics. Absolutely. But this is a way to explain how the epigenetics process is working is through these sensors. And it's, it's controversial because some of the mainstream creation groups are not buying into this sensor idea yet, (laughs) but yet it seems to fit and it would fit with the fact that things can rapidly speciate. Um, That would be very interesting. Yeah. Because epigenetics is is that is that environmental pressures activate and deactivate uh, certain gene uh, gene structures and stuff. Yeah, information patterns. I agree. And, but here's how. How though? How does yeah, it? That's happen? that's the question. Yeah, it's so, like a, a an advanced Lamarckianism. You know? That's right. And so so you've got Randy Galuza and ICR guys saying, "Wait a minute, we uh, we believe we know epigenetics happens." It, it gives some wonderful, um, wonderful results as we test it out. It's got to be sensors that are doing it. And that's what the research is bearing out. But you got guys that are still holding on to old models. They, they know epigenetics is out here, but they still think it's a pure natural selection process. Um, well, yeah, you got to find a mechanism. Not the beauty, sorry, but it is. The beauty of natural selection theory is that it is so simple and it makes sense. Now, whether or not it's true is another issue. Different story, right? Yeah. But it just, you know, it has explanatory power. Yeah. But um, we got to find the the valves that turn off and on at the uh, the, the genes, the, yeah. the mechanism. It would be it had to be really complex. And well, you know, yeah. 
go ahead. I guess I, I could go in different directions with that. But anyway, I, I mean, look how complex our DNA is anyway. Yeah. Right. I mean, we've got this double helix that is folded in a three dimensional shape. And the Democrats um, yeah, DNA is not that complex, though. Right. Right. <laughs> they look like they're on different genes that look like they're on that are operate completely separately from one another on different yeah. parts of the double helix. When it's folded. Yeah, not to be regulator genes for one another, and you've got you've got primary, secondary, and tertiary regulator genes based on the three D folded structure DNA. It is insane what is going on there, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, most likely. And now we have to figure out the sensor genes. That's what really fascinated me was the folds themselves are information. You Mm -hmm. have to have the folds at a certain place for certain things to work. The folds. Who'd have thought of that? <laughs> Who'd Natural. have thought of that? Well, evolution figured it out. Evolution figured out that certain folds of information and genes and stuff in the pools that come together and all of it. That it, yeah. random, <laughs> I love random chance. I'm going to learn how to do it. Yeah. yeah. So, here, so here's the question, Matt. Natural selection. Wow. I agree it's a simple way to explain it. I just think it needs to be modified to the sensor theory. Here's the problem with natural selection. What's doing the selecting? What is the intelligence that's selecting? Well, no intelligence is necessary in natural selection. That's the beauty of it. Well, that's what they say until you think through the problem a little bit more. Well, I'll I'll take their side for you, okay? (laughs) Okay, please. All right, Mr. (laughs) Silvestro. Um, So what it is is when a gene through randomness uh, surfaces – through prog- progeny, through descendancy, if that surfacing gene enables um, survivability, then that organism will pass on. That, and so natural selection is the selecting by the environment whether the, the gene will continue or not because they either aid or hin- assist or hinder in survivability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're I get what you're saying. I have no problem with that personally. Honestly, it, it makes sense. I believe it only works because God ordained that it worked and God designed that it worked because the genetic information is there. But. Yeah. The problem is, is that try to run through numbers of generations in only 4,300 years. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. That's why there's a, a article. I found it someplace. Uh, the, the mathematical challenges to the neo-Darwinian theory of evolution. And I read another article uh, that said that it's that the naturalistic idea of 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 the present theory of evolution can work. It can. It's theoretically possible. The universe just needs to be, I think it was 218 billion years old or something like that for it to work. Yeah, I, I don't even know where they get that math from, because we, we have re, we have mathematical studies to show that even for a small um, protein, right? So one that would have 20 amino acids put together, you would have to take the fastest enzymes we have on earth, multiply them millions of times more to be faster than what they are right now. And you still couldn't get it done in under trillions of years. And that's just for a small protein. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's, it literally is impossible. And, and here's the other issue with all this stuff is you know, with evolution, we've got a number of problems. We have a problem of, I mean, we don't have the problem. <laughs> they do. But there's the problem of how did the single cell come together in the first place? Okay. Now, I know the answer to that. Yeah. 
It was Q in Star Trek, and he brought Captain. I don't know, oh, Q is Q is always the answer. That's how the New Testament came together. Right. Q is always <laughs> everything. That's right. Okay, well, it can't. It came together. I've actually talked to evolutionists about this. What they told me, I'm sitting here staring at him like, "Are you serious?" Is that uh, the nucleotide bond pairs came together and they sequenced in any particular order and the sugar phosphate uh, helix formed and it's just a randomness and there were somehow oh gosh I'm trying to say this straight faced there were somehow some end caps that kept the dna from unzipping and being destroyed at the end there's a word for this thing uh the end caps anyway and to stop that and somehow Somehow RNA was able to work through the zipped. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, I have a question, it. if I can Pardon. ask it. Yeah. Because I'm way in over my head on this, I admit it. So I'm just going to ask as a regular brain damaged person because I really am one. Oh, so relate. That's good. An answer: You were you were pretending to be an atheist uh, evolutionist a minute ago. So I want to ask a question that I ask atheist evolutionists all the time so how does a heart come into play if you don't have blood and um why how could you have blood if you can't circulate it and so how does the circulation system come into play if you don't have a heart and how do you have blood without clotting in other words how does any why of this survive? what happened how does any of this survive before the next um how does any of this survive before the next step that would be a congruent development of the systems into an increasing complexity. That's the basic thing that they say. Mm -hmm. Without any basis for it. Yes, they, right. They, and they, they can't have, explain it to me, and I understand I have brain damage, but how come they can't make it work? <laughs> well, I could see the logic of what they're saying. And you know, my job is to look at both sides of an argument and go to the biblical position here it's not a biblical position in the sense that god has not written that we know of in any uh, previously unknown code about genetic formation and, and development we don't see that at least revealed in scripture so we've got to use logic and evidence in this case to apply what we know to, to the thing but i've talked to evolutionists over the years and what they've told me is that there'd be a, a, a system where mutual you have several parts that make the whole now but back in the day when it was barely developing they were uh, less complex but they worked in unison to increase their complexity now this is just what they say right and it makes sense in that sense but if you examine information formation information transference for all this stuff to work and the congruity that is necessary when different organs form the information it, it just forget it is impossible it's just not going to happen yeah all they, all, all they ever say to me is you don't understand and, I, and you're I right i understand I, you're me. right i don't understand explain it to me and they don't because they don't have an explanation <laughs> well you know what it they reminds don't. me, you know, my, one of my favorite, most simplistic illustrations of the problems of evolution is, is the woodpecker. I know you know about it, but the woodpecker's tongue goes down its throat, back by its neck, by its vertebra, up the back of the head, there's a groove in the skull, between the skin, down from the forehead, down between the eyes, down into a nostril and out the mouth. Now, I could just see mom and dad, wood, Woody, woodpecker, you know, sitting there and and uh, the dad goes, uh, <clears throat> Junior here's born with his tongue shoved in the back of his throat. And mom goes, don't worry, it'll work out. 
he'll somehow be able to eat and survive with the tongue shoved in the back of his skull area. How does that happen? How does that happen? I actually started reading an article where the evolutionists tried to explain that. Talk about complicated intelligence uh, being used to unravel an unravelable knot. So much, so much guesswork. Anyway, there's, there's lots of stuff like that in, in the biological realms, but that one's an easy one to ask, and they can't explain it. They can't explain that. It's only by design. Yeah, I never knew about a while ago with uh, Todd Friel and Dan Barker. And uh, it was really interesting because it, the questions, um, one of the questions uh, Todd Friel had with Dan Barker was, um, what evolved first, the bones, the muscles, or the tendons <laughs> of, of a human or a, or a, you know, a, a person or, or whatever. And, you know, Dan Barker was, was clueless. He was like, well, I suppose the bones would be, but then how would they know that it needed tendons and muscles and, and all the other stuff? I mean, it's, it's just interesting how they don't. All you got to do is to say simultaneous or congruent development as one thing inches up. Like you just build something a little bit, you have a, uh, a board, and you have bricks. One brick, you raise the board up. Another brick, you raise the board up. And you can get to great heights. The principle, I'm surprised you didn't use that principle. You mm -hmm. have to get into more detail in order to refute that. But that, that and you, get in, you refute it by dealing with the information transference. Development and transference. This is really important because you have to have the... I'm not going to do this. I want Anthony to talk. I'd get into this. Not gonna I don't mind. Go on. Yeah, that's my kind of question. That's the kind of question I ask them. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no it's all good. Here's a here's a concern. Uh, information is is super highly complex structures in biological form and nucleotide bond pairs, and you, the there's randomness in there, but there is it's kind of hard to explain. But when you have information, information is by definition extremely complex in that level. The complexity exceeds what's called the universal probability bound, the maximum number of events that could have occurred in an 18 billion year universe. It's just not possible. And we could go into that and I could explain some more of that just on paper and stuff like that. But think about this. Let's say you have a, a bird species on an island and there's a thousand pair of mated uh, birds. Uh, so you have 2,000 birds, 1,000 male, 1,000 female. Let's just say that. And uh, for some reason, a, a slight genetic mutation uh, arises in a single bird. It's just an illustration. A single bird. And the single bird, has, let's just say, has a stronger bill and can get those tougher nuts. And so it can survive. Let's just say that's the case. Well, then you have 2,000 mated pairs. And let's just say it goes up, it goes from just up and down 0.5% uh, population, you know, depending on a few variables of how many mated pairs there are, but it just stays within that realm. So you have this one bird that can survive, and then it's going to pass its genetic information down to its, its descendants, its progeny. How long would it take for those birds, if they all survived, and they don't, because there's predation, there's other issues, but if they all survived, how long would it take for that information to replace or to be disseminated throughout all of the other, um, to replace the 2,000 mated pairs? 
They'd all have to eventually die out, and then you have the information that replaces the 2,000 mated pairs. How long would it take? And I'm trying to do research to have mathematicians and, poly and people who know all this stuff. I can't really find anything. But the, but the hint is it takes um, not just 6,000 years, but tens and tens and tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of years for this to work for the information to be transferred and disseminated throughout a gene pool. And this is only with 2,000 mated pairs. If you're on a continent, you're gonna have millions. And you've got to have this information be disseminated for new species to develop, so to speak, is one issue. And anyway, it's an illustration of the dissemination of new information throughout a, a gene pool. It's a very, very serious problem. Yeah, of course, we gotta step back a moment here because when we, something I point out in the book, and you'll see on the various creation websites as well is to go from to go from the single cell to the complex organisms that we see today, right? Supposedly, that you have to have added information, right? New functional genetic information added over time to get to the state you're in. Now, there's a lot of other variables, right? I mean, you have to have this gene pop up, this mutation pop up. And it has to be a in a dominant sense to be able to be passed on and to continue to propagate. Because otherwise, you need two copies of it <laughs> um, for it to be able to be passed on, right? If, if it becomes into a recessive gene and whatnot. So you have this issue. That's a whole other point. You're right. If it's just in one, how is it going to be transferred? It's possible, but it becomes recessive. Yeah. So so there's a huge, there's a huge issue there. But, okay, how many of all the genetic mutations we've ever discovered how many of them have been shown to increase functional genetic information? I think they said there's one. None. I heard an evolutionist no. say one, and it had to do with uh, the nigroid, and it had to do with something to do with sickle cell yeah. survivability. Yeah, that's no. what I heard. I know, I know. So here, here's the problem is that <laughs> what they're, what they're, um, they're doing a little swap out in terms on us. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of mutations that turn out to be beneficial mutations, but it's actually a functional loss of information. And it just so happens that that mutation in a specific environment, in a specific time, can be a benefit for that organism. So sickle cell anemia, it, it's one that I use actually for my point in this, is you have the replacement of one amino acid that takes the normal biconcave disc of a red blood cell and turns it into a sickle shape. It cannot carry all the oxygen on it anymore. What's interesting about the sickle shape is that it can't be affected by malaria. <laughs> right. But so this person, while they have a disadvantage genetically, they can't oxygen doesn't carry through the body as well. Um, if they're in an environment of malaria, they'll live where other people will die. Right. Right. So it's an advantage. But in the end, they actually had a loss of information and it doesn't come back. So there's that's the example they use. Antibiotic resistant bacteria in some cases is the same issue is a, is a beneficial wow. mutation, but still a loss of information it has to do with a, a function of a port on the, uh, on the cell wall. Well, isn't it uh, the case that uh, adaptation really is a reduction of the gene pool? Um, for, the for the most part, yes. Now, some of these sensor studies coming out, we are starting to figure out, is it 
is it only a reduction or is it the turning off and on of genes or is it a mix of both? Does this come out of the junk DNA, which they're finding out is not so junk? It's not junk DNA. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the problem with the junk DNA thoughts is that they just don't understand regulator, regulator genes. And so as, again, as time goes on, we're figuring more of this stuff out. Man. It's just amazing how it all developed just by chemicals, physics, and we get sentient life that is self-conscious and can wonder about it. And it just, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 What genes gave rise to the sense of reason? That's what I want to know. Well, you know, there's a philosophical problem with uh, evolution in the sense that if they are naturalists and that they say that uh, the evolutionary process is limited and strictly guided by the laws of chemistry, laws of physics, then you cannot uh, justify any rationality. And because of that, that, and the reason you can't is because that would mean the physical brain operates under the laws of physics and chemistry. And so therefore, it's just chemical reactions through sensory input. Well, if that's the case, your logic, logical output does not mean that it's true. It just means it's a logical, it's a chemical necessity. So that means then you can't trust the idea of naturalistic evolution as being true because it, it casts doubt on its own theory. It's mm-hmm. a self-reputing system. That's right. So yeah, that I, I walk through that in my book. Um, oh, good. To help people understand this issue. Yeah. Good. It's it's funny you talk to the evolutionist and you ask them to justify their ability to reason, right? And, and you do it the same way. Say, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the laws of chemistry and physics, right? I'm not gonna ask you to, to justify where those came from in the first place, <laughs> but but we'll start there, and then you know, and that's where I bring them exactly what you said. You know, you went from from a pond scum to the single cell to you human being, just random mm-hmm. chemical reactions doing nothing but obeying laws of chemistry and physics over billions of years. And here's another issue that is a problem is if uh, naturalistic evolution is true, then our minds are the product of the chemical reactions of that particular individual. So let's say at 20 years old that that individual committed a crime and at 50 years of age, they catch up to him about that crime. The question is, is he then the same person? If the mind is the product of the physical individual and the physical individual has changed, then is he the same person? Hmm. It's just a, it's a question because you can't really justify that. It's called property dualism issue problem. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it, ultimately naturalistic evolution leads to now, in an evidential way, self-refutation, but in a logical, philosophical way, it's also self-refuting. And yet people will adopt it. Now, why would anybody want to adopt the theory of evolution? What would be the reason? Asks Matt to Anthony Silvestro. Look, you know what? I, I think when you read Romans 1, we get, a, we get the answer. It says that everyone knows the true God exists by his creation. And so what is going to be attacked most? I think it's going to be the understanding of his creation. Yeah. People so. love lies. They hate truth. It's our nature, the fallenness. We're by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. Dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1. It is our nature to rebel against the truth. Yeah. I remember when I was a, an unbeliever, I was drawn to darkness. And the idea of absolute truth got in my way. And it got in went my way of my desire of influence and understanding in the way that I wanted it to be. 
It was natural. And I remember after becoming born again, how the light switch was on and I could see everything clearly. It was a radical difference. People have to find a reason to believe in something. It's our nature. We have to believe in something. And so evolution gives them a pseudo intellectual reason to uh, be their own gods, which I think is a part of the identic fall issue. Uh, okay. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. I think it's part of the identic lie that we want that in our nature and our hearts and things like that. And I'll stop hey. preaching about that. Claiming to be wise, it became fools and exchanged the glory of the moral God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Yep. So, yeah, we absolutely we we see that. So absolutely. What, one of two things happened. We were we either came about from naturalistic processes or we were created. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah, you want to you want to exchange the truth about God for a lie? You're going to try to dismiss Him, and you got to find a naturalistic process to do it. Yeah, and uh, welcome evolution. <clears throat> welcome to evolution, and it it is it's a veneer of logic and a veneer of sensibility that is projected, and a veneer of science. It's a veneer of science, which is a philosophy to begin with. It's a philosophical right. approach to knowledge, but. Um, it, when you scratch that veneer, you start seeing, hey, wait a minute. There's some problems here. I remember when I became a Christian, I, I, uh, I, I believed in evolution. I was an evolutionist before I became a Christian, agnostic evolutionist. And I had a, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I mean, that's just, just what I was going to do, marine biology. And, um, well, here I am. But so when I started studying evolution back in the 80s, uh, what I did was I read some anti-evolution books written by some Christians. And I had access to <clears throat> a humongous library at a university. <clears throat> and I still, I, it's packed. Otherwise, I'd walk behind me. Here's the notebook. But uh, it's going to pack the move in a few months. But um, I went through those books. And I went through their footnotes. And I looked up on microfiche. I printed stuff up. I spent weeks and weeks and weeks going through looking at the documentation that they had, that these other guys had done the research on. And you know what I found was? What's that? They were right. They were quoting these people, and they were saying these things, and a lot of these quotes are contradicting each other. These scientists don't know what's going on all the time. There's a lot of conjecture. And I'd read beyond these quotes and or preceding them, or I'd, I'd go, man, that could have been in this book. I mean, it was so much that I found out, and I said – and that's what did it for me at first, because I was still learning about things and getting my faith right. But I went, evolution is just a joke. It just does not work. And uh, so I gave up on it pretty quickly. I was always a science kind of a guy, you know, and everything. I, I have a question, if I can be heard. Unfortunately, we can't. Go ahead. Okay, Matt. So my, my question about this math is, what stops them from just deciding that the universe is trillions of years old just to fix the math? like they did with Kobe of years old. The Kobe uh, radi background radiation experiment, what I understand, demonstrates that the universe can only be a certain age. And there's another issue of the size of the universe and the rate of expansion problem, uh, that it limits it to that time. Now, there are, just for throwing this out, there's some interesting theories being propagated by some scientists who are also Christians about the relativity issue that on Earth it would be 6,000 years old, but outside it would be longer. Now, I'm not saying it's right or not, but, you know, information is information and theories are theories. But here's a, an interesting problem that uh, uh, astrophysicists are facing is, uh, think about this. We have the Big Bang, which I have no problem with the Big Bang because it was just God's creating it. There it is. He created it either all in place or not. Uh, um, 
logistically, I don't have a problem with it, talking to an, uh, an evolutionist, I should say. So let's just say the, big, the universe is expanding. And each, each tip of my finger is a, is a galaxy. And it comes out and it's expanding. But what we're seeing is the force of gravity, which is inversely proportional to the square of the distance, means that no matter where you are in the universe, your existence exerts another gravitational force on every other body in the entire universe, which means that everything is pulling back in this way. Nothing outside because there's no bodies of mass out there. There's no mass. So as it's expanding from this big bang is going out, that means there's a consistent pulling back in of gravity. But what they're finding is the expansion is increasing in its speed. You can't do that. Well, that's, I have theories about it, what the, the, the fabric of space is being stretched and things are moving downhill. But uh, I have a theory about it too. What's your theory? It didn't happen. The Big Bang? The Big Bang. <laughs> do you think, let me ask you, because uh, I haven't decided on that. I don't have any problem with God just, you know, it, it putting it in place. But I also have no problem with God going, everything's in place, just like that. I, I don't have any problem either way. But it makes more sense to kind of say that he created the, we, we could talk about this off the air sometimes, about some theories yeah. and some ideas. Have you heard of the framework hypothesis? Yeah, I'm very familiar with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he loved it. <laughs> I love that. And the yeah, ancient Near East that. theory and all the other. The what theory? <laughs> and ancient Near East. Okay, and yeah. It's Andy, yeah. And there's some, it's interesting. There's some parallels and some stuff. Uh, me, I'm an information guy. I just like stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's interesting to look at. But um, as far as the creation uh, goes, you know, it says God created the heavens and the earth. There it was. He created the, um, the earth, the sun, there it was. That's how it was done. That's how it was done. And mm -hmm. uh, the Bible says God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He knows more than we do. Yeah, that's, that's for right. sure. You never asked me for advice. You mean he doesn't learn? He does if he's an, if you're basically, uh, if you're a, uh, not an open, yeah, an open theist, then God learns. Or if you're a Mormon, then God learns. God's increasing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. I'm just making a joke because I did debate on the CARM server about whether God learns. And the guy said, yeah, he learns. And he got lucky that Caiaphas didn't just chop off Jesus's head, which would have invalidated all those prophecies about the cross. Look, the, the, there's a really easy response to this. Most people don't know this, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty easy. You have him take his right hand and put it in front of his face like this. Okay right hand, so his palms facing to his left, have him look to his left, then you have him slap himself upside the head. Simple, direct, effective, and quite fun. Now, can, can I ask my question about court that I wanted to ask before I was unmuted earlier? Go ahead. Okay, so, so here's my problem. Uh, I was arrested, as I told you before, on election day, teaching the truth on a public sidewalk. I was doing pretty much exactly what Jeff Durbin does, except I didn't have a, a video camera there. I spent the night in jail. I, I still have uh, three, three criminal charges against me. And so I'm praying every day that God has them drop the charges against me. And then I'm reading through the Gospels, and Jesus says, if you're my followers, don't expect to be treated better than I'm treated. And I'm going, wow, he wasn't treated very well in court. He was executed for a crime he didn't commit. And then I'm feeling guilty about praying to have the charges dropped. Pray so to help, have the charges dropped. So, so help me out here, Matt. 
That's what I wrote about in the chat. Pray for righteousness. And righteousness would be that the the charges would be dropped. That's it. Right? So you pray for righteousness. So aren't I praying to be treated better than Jesus was? You can't be treated. You you cannot be treated equally with Christ. You will always be treated better than he was. He was God is God in flesh. <laughs> was I like that? Yeah, I think I corrected myself. The historical present, but kind of thing. But um, wonderful headline. We're going to put that everywhere across the internet. Hey, I preached once. It's on tape. Some in some <laughs> archive, someplace where I actually said from the pulpit, Jesus is not God. And uh, the elders, what you know, what you said? I, go, I never said that. And they go, they go, yes, you did. They go, crud. You know, yeah. Andrew at a conference a few years ago said Judas was on the cross. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, nobody caught it in this entire church except at my at that time, my nine-year-old son came up to yeah. him and told him that. And we had to rewind the tape to see it. I had a Muslim teach me that. He said the one that was on the cross was actually Judas. Yeah, that's that's a Muslim teacher, which means that, that God is responsible for the rise of Christianity and that he's a deceiver. But that's sort of 354 letter topic. So, so I, I shouldn't feel guilty about praying that all the charges be dropped. Of I course, you shouldn't I be. Do not commit these crimes. I really think. Do. Wait a minute. Wait. Think about this. If you are suspecting that you should not be praying to have the charges dropped because you're going to be treated better than Jesus, then Mike over there in the corner, you should be praying that it gets worse for him whenever he witnesses, and things get worse and worse and worse because wouldn't that be biblical? You would you'd be praying imprecatorily for against him. Would that be the case? Well, I don't know the guy, but I usually don't pray bad things for people. Did you hear my logic? Here, yes, take I your hand up your finger, face. Go ahead. I did hear the logic. <laughs> okay. Come over there and talk to you. It's okay to pray that. Um, Jesus says you will be treated, you know, you'll be treated badly. I don't know any verse that says worse than him or whatever it is. Because you've got to understand, he was... God in in the historical context, he was God in flesh, he still is. Hypostatic union, Colossians 2 9. Okay. So he God in flesh, who had to go through what he went through, knowing, knowing what the crucifixion would be, was part of his suffering, knowing that he would bear the sin of the world, knowing that he would become sin in that sense. We have no ability to fathom that that understanding of, of suffering. And don't forget also, his back was beaten with the cat of nine tails, probably to the point of being able to see uh, bone. We don't know for sure, but this is how bad it would often be. And his beard was plucked from his face, ripped from his face. He was beaten so badly that uh, this is probably why they had to get Simon of Cyrene to pick up the cross and carry it because he couldn't, couldn't make it. He was beaten, spit on, his back ripped open, and he went to the cross that way. Are you going to even think that you might be Equal to that? Not even. So what's going on in the scriptures here is you've got to understand something, that you are, are never going to be able to suffer like he did, but you will suffer as he did in the sense that the unbelievers will come and attack you. That's just how it is. I, I did a death threat attack recently. I've been threatened with all kinds of stuff. Mike over here, he's been arrested and put in jail. This is what's going to happen. Different kinds of persecution. So don't be praying for it not to pass. Pray for it to pass so that righteousness can be had. Yeah, I mean, even before we go out and do evangelism, we we pray, you know, protect us as we're out there. Keep us from wicked, unreasonable men. 
uh, you know, protect us from any evil that would rise up against us. We're not looking for those things, but but go out and preach about Jesus. It's going to happen. But we're still asking the Lord to 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 keep us from that harm. Yeah, and you should. And you yeah, should. I didn't know I was going to be preaching that day. It just sort of happened, and so I didn't pray beforehand. Oh, that's a good predestination thing. Good. It was ordained by God. So the thing is, always remember, have your camera, have your phone, have whatever with you, and and uh, watch your back. And uh, stuff. I remember once, get this, I mean, this is how people are. Short version of the story, uh, I almost got threatened with arrest at one church for going out there and asking why they had women pastors and elders. And I, on the way home, I stopped by another church to ask the same question. And this is at a Christian church, not too far from where I'm living right now, and I literally uh, had to walk backwards in the parking lot with my hands in the Krav Maga, which is a martial arts, uh, Israeli martial arts. I was in the Krav Maga stance, walking backwards to defend myself against the Christians because they're becoming hostile because I dared ask why that woman over there, the pastor, the pastor's wife was a pastor. Why is that the case? And um, Mike, when you said that uh, they shoved, you know, something they said the affidavits of shoving, what happened to me that day was um, the pastor and this guy were about 10 feet from me. And he said, you need to leave. And I said, I'm leaving. You know, I'm, I'm leaving. And I'm, I'm literally backing up. There's a certain way we can do it. I could illustrate it behind me, but we back it up. And the pastor turned away to walk back into the church. And this, this guy, and I put my arms down, right? I don't have to worry about anything. I can just leave now. And this guy is about 10 feet away, took an aggressive step towards me, if you know what that means. It's a shoulders forward, the head down, you know, scowl, and he went forward at me. And I put my hands back up. And he yelled out. He shoved me. We were a good 10 feet apart. And everybody turns around, and the pastor goes, did you shove him? And everybody's listening to the pastor say this to me when this guy's accusing me. This is Christians. Christians. I was afraid. That was the closest I've ever come to being assaulted in a witnessing encounter, whatever it is, evangelism, truth encounter, was at a Christian church. So I know what you mean by people saying, hey, you shoved. People lie. And I said to the I said to the pastor, he lied. He lied. They go, we're calling the police. Go <laughs> crud. For what? Why? Why do you have a woman pastor? I was assaulted at a synagogue once. The guy tore my shirt. That's all he did to me. So that was it. Yeah, I bet that, that happened. A Christian scientist once got really mad at me. Christian science, reality and actuality is an interpretation of the divine mind. And mm-hmm. uh, that sin is not really an actuality. It's an it's improper thought. And so he uh, got really mad at me when I handed his tracks. He thought it was pro-Christian science, and it wasn't. And he came back to me, and he raised his fist with a crunched track in his hand, and he went like this. And I just I sat there to get ready to take a, a strike, and he put it into my shirt and ripped it. That was I got ripped that that way. And as he walked off, I said, "What are you upset for? This isn't reality anyway." <laughs> and he flinched. And he kept walking. Yeah, this this guy just he threatened to beat me up, and all he did was rip my shirt, and so I just walked out. Not not big, not dramatic, not fun, not anything. Yeah, just what it is. Uh Christians. Um, Jews. Pagans. But anyway, that's that's what, 
Hey, there there are some nice Jews. I'm Messianic. Sure. Um, I don't know if I'm nice, but uh, anyway, the trial is August 13 if we don't get the charges dropped. Well, do you want the charges dropped or do you want to be persecuted some more? Because I can pray either way. I want the charges dropped. Oh, okay. All right. Good. We do, we do actually have a sitting judge in Benson, Arizona that uh, was uh, a witness to it. So he saw that I didn't do those things. Okay. You'll be fine then. Don't worry about it. And even if the worst that'll happen is you get, you, uh, you know, get fined or something like that. And God will help it, help it out. You'll witness, you'll do Bible studies. They want three years in prison and $6,800 fine. I don't think they'll get any of that. Even if no. I were found guilty. I could just, you know, I always thought, you know, I, I could go to jail, right, for witnessing, whatever. And yet you're in there. What are you in for? Murder. What are you in for? Oh, I kidnapped eight people. What are you in for? I told someone about Jesus. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah I know, apparently. I, I do know me, so I know I'm going to hold Bible studies if I am in, in yeah. uh, jail. So right. it, it doesn't matter. I was singing psalms and they were cursing at me when i was there overnight so what you gotta watch out for though you'll be in jail and you'll be sitting there by yourself and all of a sudden the gate will go you walk right out well i was in i was in solitary last time and i was singing in hebrew and the cops were screaming and cursing profanity at me and cursing my dead mother i mean ridiculous well do it in english (laughs) and that way they can hear some of it was in English. <laughs> Did you do that that uh, Jewish dance? Da, 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 da. No, oh, I didn't God. dance. Oh, I'm getting silly. See, sure. You should have been there with me so I'd know what to do. <laughs> oh, trust me. You don't want an Asperger's guy alone with you in a jail cell. Hey, what are you doing? Well, look at that wall over there. How's it folding that thing right there? What are you, what, are you blinking too fast? Yeah, you wouldn't want that. What, what's really funny is when my wife called up, when she figured out where I was, she yeah. called me to jail and she says, well, why did you take him? And they said he was using profanity. And of course, they're the only ones that cussed and they were cussing at me and cussing my dead mother. I mean, you know, that's why you cannot trust unbelievers. You got to prove it. Get always have your camera with you. Always have you can do any evangelizing. And when I'm out evangelizing, if I see in any way, shape, or form that it looks like any hostility might be going, I back off. I'm done. Well, well, Matt, I got to tell you, I was just out to buy The Incredibles 2 on Blu-ray, and we were on our way home, and my wife decides she's going to vote. I'm not even allowed to vote in the state of Arizona, and so I didn't know that I was going to be doing any evangelizing. So I stayed outside the polling place um, while she went in to vote, and this happened outside a polling place. So okay. I didn't know I was going to be doing evangelizing. I didn't even have my copy of the Constitution on me. Usually I travel with a Bible and a copy of the Constitution, but that's why I wasn't prepared in advance. Well, if you are you the next time, get uh, Aliens, uh, the second one is better. <laughs> All right, we should close it off because it's 10 after. Yeah. So, uh, hey, guys, thanks. That's what we're going to end on? Yeah, we're going to end on that. That's right, Aliens. Well, Matt, I, I, let me let me say this then. So sure. we're coming to Boise at the, uh, I think, third weekend of July. All right. And so um, I'm going to plan on us sitting down with, with Mike Riddle. Okay. Having some fun one day. But uh, I'd love to invite you to the conference. So Justin Peters, myself, Mike, and Danny Faulkner, the uh, um, astrophysicist from Astrogenesis, are going to do a conference for youth pastors in Boise. Hey, I'll show up. 
So yeah, we'd love to have you. Where's it going to be in Boise? It is going to be at um, his church. So Pastor Jim Harris. Oh, I know Pastor Jim Harris. We, uh, yeah, he's got a good church. Uh, crud. It's over yeah, there by the mall. I can't um, think my head either right now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, Pastor Jim Harris. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 we, yeah. He and I have talked several times. We see each other at the radio station back when I had the show here in, in Boise. But, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. He teaches good stuff, and he's serious about the Lord and and equipping. So he's one of the few good guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll go there and sit in the back, and and uh, you guys just listen for some forehead slaps. It'll be fun. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Would you like to close some prayer, Matt? Sure, I surely will. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time, and Lord, I just ask that uh, you'd bless it, and that by some chance, Lord, not chance, but by your ordination, that you would bring someone to listen to this later and that truths within it would be used by you to uh, quicken their hearts, to help them come closer to you and even find you. And if for Christians to be better equipped and grounded in the faith, to be stronger and bolder for the truth that we have uh, in our hands and in our hearts. Lord, just ask for your mercy on us and our time. I thank you for Mike and Anthony for their spending time and ask you bless them. We ask all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you. A week from today, radio. Yes, a week from today. We'll have to talk ahead of time about kind of questions and stuff we're going to get in so we can make it really efficient and good. Yeah, we can do that. Okay, we'll develop it. We'll, it will design it intelligently to work. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll talk. I think we're supposed to talk with Andrew one of these days coming up, right? So. Yeah, there goes the neighborhood. Okay. I know. You, we, you well, know, I'm... Wallace and I were just talking to how uh, we're like, you know, just last week and a half, I just talked to him yesterday, like, why has it been so quiet lately? Like, this has been really smooth. Because Anthony's not out of the country. Yeah, I mean, because uh, Andrew is. Oh, he's yeah. gone. <laughs> Wow, he's doing good tonight. He said Jesus was God. He said don't sing in Hebrew. He's, he's, on, he's on top of it tonight. <laughs> That's right. Heresy 101 from Matt Slick. That's right. All right, you guys. Well, God bless. That's what you'll rename the podcast, right? Heresy 101? Yeah. Oh, I get a lot of those. All right. We'll see you guys. God bless. Nice God bless. You. All right. God bless.